Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. Congratulations, 25 years. That's just an amazing thing. And don't you know that God celebrates with you as well? I mean, don't you know he absolutely loves these moments to be with his kids and and, you know, you've already taken a moment to, to honor uh, Pastor John and Tammy, and you should. But I, I can tell you, I've watched them for the last 20 years and have been alongside. And it is absolutely true. You can never be at a place in the life of a church that is not first practiced in the life of the leader. Whatever good is going on, in the life of a community, in the body of Christ, someone was practicing it before you. And so it's appropriate to give due honor. So Pastor John, Tammy, do honor. One more time, just you know you have great pastor, pastor's wife, family, we love you guys. So proud of you. Happy 25th. And I don't know if you've noticed how often celebrations are followed very quickly by consecration. A celebration is quickly followed by a consecration. Stay stay with me, and you'll see how this plays out. Uh, It's true in all sports, as a rule. Like, let's pick the NFL. They they just ended. Let's pick the NFL. When someone wins in the NFL, when a team wins and then the, the sideline a reporter comes comes to them and, and, and they start asking questions about the win, they say, oh, we're going to celebrate this tonight. But what's the next thing they tend to say? But next week we're going to win because we have a mission to get in the playoffs. If you interview them when they win a game in the playoffs, and they say, oh, yeah, this was an awesome game. This was tough. Here was this play, that play. But, but we're going to celebrate, but we're not done. Our mission is to get to the Super Bowl. When they win the Super Bowl, like, like the Chiefs just recently did, I wondered, I wondered, were there a few? Any 49er fans? Just, why, why not? Perfect. Perfect. I prayed for them to lose because they beat the Lions and I'm originally from Michigan. So I just want, I'm petty. I'm petty. I'll admit that. But when the Chiefs won, it was a repeat. And do you know what immediately came as a part of the celebration? If you, maybe you didn't hear this. Maybe you didn't notice. It was immediately, and we are going to go after it next year. We're going to be the first team to get a three-peat. No team in NFL history has won three Super Bowls in a row. Have you ever noticed like when a great movie comes out, they don't know it's great, but then when it becomes great, it's like, oh, that's fantastic. Now they need to do a sequel. Have you ever noticed you come back from a great vacation? You're driving back, oh, that was fantastic. Oh my goodness, we enjoyed that. We need to do this again. (laughs) Right? My wife got done with the New York City Marathon some time ago. I celebrate with her. I don't understand it. It's so dumb. (laughs) You can drive it, just so you know. If God wanted us to run, he wouldn't have given us cars. So, but anyhow, she gets done. Then she decides, I need to do the Boston Marathon. 
Who understands that? But she's going to, she's qualified, she's running this April. Yay for her. I have a, I have a, I wear a gold chain. I'm not weird, stay with me, just don't. I wear a gold chain. And there's a reason for the gold chain. See, Marsha and I will celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary this summer. We're 41 years in. But in our second year of marriage, the first year wasn't good. The second year was worse. Apparently, she didn't understand when I said I do. I meant that she should do what I ask. And I didn't understand that she intended me to do what she asked. And so two selfish people said, I do. And then it immediately led to, I do not. So we fought. And in that second year, we moved this little town, and we were in Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and we were up in a little town called Byron Center, we had a little house there, and, and we were close to the grocery store, like two blocks away. We'd drive there, but you could have, you could have walked there. And I, and I remember the fight that we had, and we, we still talk about it. We have our whole lives ever since, because it was like the culmination. We're, we're in ministry, we love God, we're leading people, but we really just don't like each other anymore. And it hasn't, it has this is why people say marriage is grand, but divorce is 100 grand. Anyhow, it takes a bit to, to get it. That I meet with single people and they want to be married, and then you meet with married people and they want to be single. I mean, you, like the, there is a cost to going uphill to things that are worthwhile. And we had a fight in the frozen food department. I mean, we just lost it. I, I, we still to this day don't remember what we fought over but it was an ugly fight. And I just, I just walked away. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm going home. And I walked home. I, I remember literally at a, this specific house where we live that I walked in the garage and I sat down. And I said, now I know why my parents divorced. I'll probably be divorced. Thank God we don't have kids yet. I'll be out of ministry. This is just really hard. Well, in the kindness of God, he grew us up. Now everybody's got to grow up. And if you don't, the losses are huge. And God grew us up and we hit 25 years of marriage. And we decided to celebrate and consecrate. See, the, 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 the wedding band on, on my left hand, this is not my original wedding band. Around my neck is my original wedding band. We decided to celebrate 25, that's this one, around my neck. And then buy new. Now, I know, she, I know why she really wanted to buy new. She had the diamond from what a college student could afford. And she'd been wearing that for 25 years. And she thought, here would be a good idea. How about if we get new rings? to mark and consecrate the next 25 years. I didn't get much. She wanted a ring that reflected 25 years of faithfulness on her part and a completely different economic circumstance. And she got that. I don't know what it'll look like in eight years when we hit 50, but anyhow. So, so here's what I want you to see. The, I, I decided not to put my ring away from the first 25 years. I still keep it close to my heart. I know it sounds weird, but it helps me. It just, it's always right here. And it reminds me 
thank you. That's, I don't know what that is, but that's fantastic timing. Right here. And then this is the consecration ring. This is, let's get 25 more. See, here is the first 25 worth celebrating. Here's the next 25 worth consecrating. See, when you're not done, you don't just celebrate, you consecrate. You got to know what you do when you hit 25 years. So let's just put it on the screen and let's talk about it. There's this question, what do you do with 25 years? And I want to give you a suggestion and answer. So here they are. You can jot it down. You can take a picture of whatever. First, fight for what matters and celebrate. Yes, that's an important piece of it. But then consecrate and fight for what matters. Yes, fight for what matters and celebrate, but then consecrate. Fight for what matters and celebrate. Fight for what matters and what, everybody? Celebrate. Y'all got to join me when I pause. And I just invited you into something. You can do it with me, okay? I'm weird. Go with me. Just be weird with me. You ready? Fight for what matters and what? Yeah, and then what? Consecrate. Say it again. Then what? Consecrate. And fight for what matters. See, the, the first ring I have that I just keep around my neck, that's part of this learning to fight for. We were fighting each other. But we had to figure out what to fight for what matters. And then when you get there, you celebrate. That's an important piece. It's worth us spending a few minutes on. But then, but then of course, you got to know how to consecrate. Let's talk about the first. Let's talk about fight for what matters and celebrate. It was the younger David. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. It was the younger David when he took down Goliath. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. This is toward Goliath. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David, what, everybody? Triumph over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. In the, in the Old Testament, this is a great win for the nation of Israel. In, in the Old Testament, they would call this taken territory. This is in 1 Samuel. Now you go decades later, and we're in 2 Samuel, and here's another statement about David taking territory on mission. So let's look at the next scripture. And David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. David achieved a new level of success. David took the crown from their king's head and it was placed on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold and it was set with precious stones. David took a great quantity of plunder from the city. So David musters the army. He goes to Rabbah. They had it under siege. Then he conquered them. Then he took the crown. By the way, uh, the British crown for, for King Charles weighs 5.07 ounce of pounds. 5.07 pounds. This right here, one talent, meant literally 75 pounds of gold. In today's market, that's 2.6 million plus jewels. That's a good win. 
That's a celebration. How many of you, if we just handed you, if Pastor John decided he was going to give 2.6 million to the winner in the room, how many of you would want to kind of be a part of the possibility of getting that crown? Of course you would. See this, listen, you got to see something. There is taking territory in the Old Testament and there's taking territory in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, taking territory was a physical war. The nation of Israel, God's holy people, were set out to take the promised land because the Canaanites, the people at that time, had dismissed God, defied God. They were brutal. And as sinners who deny God, play God, God said, I'm going to bring judgment and I'll use the nation of Israel to do that. And Israel will take over the promised land. So Israel was on mission to take territory. In the New Testament, we are on mission to take territory. But for us, it's a spiritual war. It has direct parallel, but now it's a spiritual war. And now God has demonstrated that while there was redemption in the Old Testament path of sacrifice, Jesus has now fulfilled the sacrifice. Thanks be to God, Jesus made a way for us to be restored to him. Waymaker would be a great name for a church because Jesus made a way for us to be restored to him. So now we can be forgiven as enemies of God instead of God removing us and letting us live eternally with the consequences of our choices. God sends his son. He dies on the cross and pays our sin debt. Then he invites us to repent Return to him. Be restored to the living God. And every sin, every mistake you ever made can be wiped away by the love and the blood and the mercy of the living God who created you and welcomes you back as a son and daughter. It doesn't get any better than that. So taking territory and being on mission is what the kind of four founders, the original elderly ladies who said, Pastor John, come along. It's what Luke 15 is talking about when the prodigal son leaves the father and is, by implication, spiritually lost. And he comes to his senses. But it is possible to be in the work of the kingdom and just get tired of it. Because uphill stuff, you get tired of it. Just get tired of the journey and the cost and the sacrifice and the giving and the serving and the, we're doing it again, we're doing it again, we're doing it again. We've done 25 years, we're gonna do another 25 years. Can't we just not? <laughs> I had a moment in time, John, I don't know if I've ever, to, I've ever told you this. I had a, the early days of the 12 Stone Church where I pastored, the early days of it didn't go well. It took us like six years before we even reached six, seven years, a couple hundred people on a weekend. We, we didn't have your success and momentum in the early stages. And, and then when we got momentum, it was too much. <laughs> and after a while of expansion and, you know, re, here's the resources we need, I was just, I, I got tired of it. And I had a moment, now nobody else knew in the church, I just had a moment with God where I said, when is enough enough? I mean, it seems like we just keep doing this. I, yes, I celebrate people coming into the kingdom and it's awesome, but I'm, you don't admit to anybody, but I, I'm kind of weary of its cost on me. I, I know it's very immature. I'm not as mature as John. And God had me write down. I, this was one of the strangest 
He said, write down the names of your kids. At that time, I had three. So I wrote down Joshua, Julissa, Jake. We hadn't had Jaden yet. He said, now circle one. That one goes to hell. The other two go to heaven. I cannot describe for you the intensity of the weight of the moment when God chose to let me feel emotionally the thought of one of my kids not knowing him. You know, some of you are traveling through a world with prodigal children and you know what I'm talking about. And God said, hey, you just, anyone, just pick two that go to heaven. You tell me which one doesn't. And I had this strange an almost out-of-body experience with God where I just like, I am not circling one of those kids because if you give me three kids, you take three kids home with you. And then he just graciously said, listen, when two out of three is okay for your kids, two out of three is okay for my lost kids. Huh. I never asked him again when enough is enough. And then we went and did the next thing for the sake of his kingdom that we were called to do as a local church. Because there are lost people that he loves that we were designed to reach. We have a mission to take territory. And sometimes that mission has miracles and sometimes it feels like a marathon. We had a season when it felt like a miracle, like we needed new property, we needed to expand. You guys have been through that. You know the weight of that, and we couldn't afford it. And God opened a door for me to meet the guy who, who, who would make it possible to, to you know, buy his land. And it was, his name was Doug Edwards, and a, a, a sequence of things. I asked Doug if I could walk on his land and pray, and Doug confessed, man, you couldn't afford this land. I, I said, I didn't tell you I wanted to pay for it. I just told you it'd be great for the kingdom. So think about it, Doug. He didn't even go to our church, so. And I prayed, and I went to our board of elders, and, and I told them, listen, I just, I'm praying. I think God's going to do something amazing. I think Doug is going to reduce the price by 100% and give it to us for free. And like one of our elders, it was quiet. You know, they all looked at each other, and one went, did anybody want what the pastor's smoking? Now, first of all, we don't do that in our board meetings. That's, that's, I know it's become more common, but that's, that we, we don't actually do that. It just meant the pastor's high. That's not going to happen, which is really encouraging to my faith. But a few months, short months later, uh, Doug said, I've settled on a price. Can I meet with your board? And he did. And he sat down and he said, for reasons I cannot explain, I have a sense that God told me that your church is going to be the most influential church in this territory and that I should be a part of it. So he took out the deed and he signed it and he slid it over to me. It is free. And I went, anybody want what the pastor's smoking now? It was awesome. Sometimes when you go after this stuff this past 25 years or the 25 years ahead, you have moments when God does miracles and you're like, yay, God, I want to be a part. But they're not always like that. Sometimes when you're obeying God personally, you get a miracle. Sometimes you feel like you got a marathon. See, the story I just told you is in a book I wrote. The next story is in none of my books. I don't even tell this story because nobody wants this story. This is the next piece of land we had to get. And in this land, I played the same prayer process. 
I walked the land, oh God, and, and this person bought the land six months before I could buy it, and I didn't know it went out from under me, and I went to the person who bought it, and I said, oh, this is for the kingdom. And I'm like, oh, come on, you had her buy it so she can give it for free. Thank Jesus. I mean, I'm just, God's going to do something to help take territory for his kingdom. Woo! I told the board, and nobody went. Anybody that like, could be. <laughs> when we finally sat down and settled on a price, she raised the price $750,000. She owned it for six months and raised the price $750,000. I'm like, just a second. Uh, hello, Jesus. Like, Holy Spirit, like, are you involved? Do you have a clue? Like, do I... I, I told you what to do. Have you ever told God what to do? Because sometimes you know he's busy. And I'm like, he's bu- you're busy. Uh, you can't be everywhere at once. Okay, well, he can. But, but I need, you're supposed to do something. He didn't. And I'm like, oh, you know what? The miracle is going to be in the gift of somebody. So I tell the church, we're going to buy it. We're going to go after it. We can't afford it, but God can afford it. So let's go do this together. And we, and we had to buy it within like three months. So we did all these offerings. And I waited for the miracle gift, the miracle gift, the miracle gift, the miracle None. Now I'm, I'm borrowing the money. I'm not going to borrow this. And I end up borrowing the money. I'm like, this is, now, I, now I'm in a corner I don't want to be. And God, how do I end up? And eventually we couldn't afford the payments. And now I'm at interest only. I'm just confessing it here, okay? I, just, I know you're looking like, why does John have dumb leaders stand on stage on the 25th? What's the point of that? I remember one, you'll all get this because you've, you've experienced it. This is part. How many of you have ever believed God invited you to make an impact, but it's taken longer and been harder, and he didn't do what you thought he would do? I just say hands. Just no, no, no. Own it, own it, own it, own it, own it. Thank you. I ended up at a conference to listen, just go sit in a conference. And, and I knew the pastor speaking. It was late. He flew in late. It was a late evening. And afterwards, I just went and talked to him. John would be like, you know how exhausted we are at the end. And it was late, late in the evening. The guy needs to go to bed. And I just went to him. He said, I'm in trouble. Do you have a couple minutes? He said, Sure. I started talking, and I started bawling like a baby. I couldn't get words out. I mean, it's, you know, just my whole face just looked. And he just looked at me. I said, I, I think I bankrupted the church. I think I screwed up. I, I, all these years, I, I'm in a hole. I don't know how to get out. Can you help me? He looked at me and said, I don't know how to help that. And he walked away. <laughs> and you know what? That's how I experienced it. It wasn't John. It was somebody else. And I'm, I'm like... John, you know what that's like. You're like you're in that place where you say, "Oh, I'm in a hole." And it, okay, long story. Yes, eventually years paid it off. I thought it'd take three years to get on the land. It took eight years. But what happened when we moved in was story after story after story of the kinds of stuff and the baptisms and the celebrations and life change. We had a couple who came to the church because they planned a divorce and they were coming to our church because they heard we were a church for people who don't go to church. So it became in the community, if you don't go to church, go to that one. They're for people who don't get it, who don't fit. But they wanted their kids to have emotional support when they went through the divorce and their kids were in elementary. So they came to church so their kids would have friends from the church so that when they divorced, their kids could absorb it. Isn't that interesting? You can guess what happened. 
God messed with them as a couple. They came to faith in Jesus. We celebrated their faith in Jesus. God began to heal their marriage. All this was done within a year. By the end of the year, they're leading their kids to Christ and they're influencing others. Yay, God, all of heaven celebrates. That's a beautiful thing. Then I'm sitting in a room and we're, we're, help, we're helping kind of uh, raise funds for the next thing that God is going to do. And I tell that story. And it's only been a year. And I tell the story. I hadn't met the couple. I tell that story. And somebody over here raised their hand. There are about 200 people in the room. Somebody over here raised their hand. And they said, hey. I said, do you have a question? They said, yeah. Um, we just want to confirm that story is true. I said, oh, you know the couple? They said, no, we are that couple. So it's true? It really happened? You stand up. Yes, it's us. I, why are you in this room? This is just for insiders who've been here long enough to understand the mission and help fund it. They said, that's why we're here. Somebody sacrificed for us to be here. We'd like to sacrifice to reach the next one like us. And those stories are happening here again and again and again. So let's put this back on the board, the question, what do you do when you have 25 years? Yeah, yeah, what you do is you fight for what's important and you celebrate. But then you turn it and you consecrate and fight for what matters. See, this consecrate to fight for what matters comes with a caution, so I'll give it to you. Caution celebration without consecration. I'm just going to caution you. If you're a note taker or you put stuff on your phone, I just want to give you a thought. Caution. Like when you have moments of celebration, you should also with it know where do the cautions have to come. Caution a celebration without a consecration. Caution getting the first ring for 25 years and not consecrating to this ring for the next 25 years. Caution. Why? Let's reread what we read in David's life. Let's just go back and reread. David mustered the entire army and went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. David mustered Mustard means he gathered the entire army, got them all together, and then they went after it. And he conquered and he took the crown. Okay, interesting. What's the problem? Because David won at Rabbah. So I've already confessed, he won at Rabbah. He got the 75-pound gold crown. That's great. Against the Ammonites. That's wonderful. But hold on. See, this right here is the end of of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Watch, watch, listen to details matter. This is the end of 2 Samuel chapter 12. You don't understand the story unless you go back a chapter to chapter 11. See, something happened in David between 1 Samuel, where you see all the David and Goliath and the wars that he won, and 2 Samuel, something happened to David in between. And you find that breakdown 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, go off to take territory, go off to be on mission, the very thing they were created to do. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. So it is that fight in chapter 11 that is being discussed. But David remained in Jerusalem. How interesting. David remained in Jerusalem. David, if you will, opted out of the war. When I say be be careful, be cautious of celebration without consecration, it's right here that David had huge celebrations. And then broke down on the consecration. Look at the next one. One evening, David got up. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. Around the roof. Around the what, everybody? Roof of the palace. Around the what, everybody? Roof. Around the roof of the palace. I try to make it sound like dogs, but you can't help it. That's Georgia Bulldogs. My head's going somewhere else. Okay. Walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. If you're familiar with scripture, something really interesting happened. David, the great David, the man after God's own heart, with the 25 years of success, opted out of the next war. You cannot run by that scripture quickly. He opted out. He was supposed to be on mission. He has a role over the nation of Israel and something happened to David and he opted out. I'm going to say something that could be its teaching on its own. But if you're not familiar with this, I want you to see it. There is a path, if you will, a cycle that is familiar to all of us, whether you know it or not. It begins with something like delight. Oh, I delight to, to do this, to be this. It's an awesome thing that I, that I ever get to do this. And often delight fades into duty. Oh, now the thing I've done becomes duty. And then eventually, eventually, it can become deserve. Let me, let me just make the point. This is true in marriage. You get married, Marcia and I get married. Oh, this is awesome. What a beautiful thing. I love that. I made a great girl. She married a great guy. And after a while in marriage, just the doing of marriage can move from I get to with all kinds of gratitude to I got to with all kinds of grind. Yes? I, I, yes? Do, is this familiar? Do, do, you, do you understand that all kinds of gratitude sits here. Oh my goodness, I'm in a gratitude season. Oh, this is fantastic. I get to. I'm so glad. I, 
my marriage is awesome. I love it. Oh, my job is fantastic. I can't believe I got this job. I can't believe I get to. Oh, this church is amazing. Have you been a part of it? This church is awesome. I'm new in this church. It's awesome in this church. I get to do this. This is so good. Oh, I got this new friend. Oh, we're in a season of gratitude. It's fantastic. It's awesome. Oh, we got kids. They're great. And all of it descends into what? Duty. It's not long, and the very thing for which you have gratitude starts to have grind. David's king, and it's awesome for years until it just becomes duty. I, he gets to, and now he has to. And you do anything, including your job, long enough, and it will go into deserve. And deserve is full of grievance. Grievance is I'm owed. See, this is, delight is when you're focused on everything you get. Duty is give and take, but deserve, this is all take. And the art of growing up in life is arresting yourself right here between two and three. The people who do well in life arrest themselves between two and three and return to number one. The art of marriage, the art of friendship, the art of a job, the art of a career, the art of any relationship, the art in sports, is to arrest yourself when you are descending from duty into I deserve this because you are descending into a selfishness that will unravel your life. And I think David was descending and he didn't arrest it. And because he didn't arrest it, it cost him greatly. Maybe the only reason God has you in this conversation today is so that you can see that. See, right here, between one and two, before you hit three, you consecrate back to one. And you get after it. This explains a whole lot of why life can be awesome for a while until it's not. You sink yourself into I deserve. And you will blind yourself to every good thing that is grateful and has some grind in order to be grateful that has some grind. It will just be grievance. And then you go get grievance friends who agree with you. We should redefine what maturity is in life. Maturity is arresting yourself between two and three and returning to one. That's how Marsh and I get 25 years and then 41 years. David lost it. And one evening, he saw a woman bathing. And David inquired of her. He desired her. He took her. He committed adultery. She got pregnant. Her husband was Uriah. Uriah was one of David's mighty warriors. David brought Uriah home from the war at Rabbah, the war David was not in that he was supposed to be in, and tried to get him to have relations with his wife so it would be the perception of Uriah's baby. Uriah knew better because 
He identified with his fellow warriors. He shouldn't be home having pleasure while they're out working so he wouldn't go home. Then David murdered him by telling Joab, the commander of the Israelite army, to put Uriah at the front at Rabbah and pull back so that he would be murdered, murdered by war. And all of this displeased God. And there's a sentence I want you to see. When you opt out of wars, you're supposed to be in. And give us the second half of it. You end up on roofs you're not supposed to be on. See, the reason this is so important is because the very things you celebrate, you can lose if you don't reconsecrate. And we end up on roofs in all sorts of places in our lives that we should never be on. We'll skip the next scripture because I'm just going to summarize it, guys. See, the next scripture is God saying to David, I gave you, listen, Go back here. I gave you the kingdom. I took you from being a shepherd. I took you when you had nothing. I made you king over Israel, my people. I gave you the kingdom. I gave you the king's wives. I gave you the resources. I made you wealthy, powerful, and influential. In other words, there was a day when you had great delight. In all of the grind and the duty of being king, I was with you. And now you treat me with contempt. See, David got to a spot where he decided, you know what? I've sort of built this thing. God owes me more. I don't know what really happened. I, I, do any of us know? But it makes sense. You can see it. Because God says, how could you treat me with such contempt? You know what else he said to David? I would have given you more. Repeat that with me. I would have given you what? I would have, isn't that interesting? Go read that scripture. I would have given you more because God is the God of more. If that had not been enough, David, I would have given you more. But we mess up when we opt out. Maybe, just maybe, the point of having a 25th anniversary moment, a 25th birthday moment, is for us to not merely celebrate, but consecrate, and to realize that that is equally true in marriage. Maybe the thing that's broken your marriage is you've had a lot of celebrations and you haven't been as devoted to the consecration. And you got, you, you got sucked down here into duty, grind, and grievance. And consecration will put you right back up here. Maybe this is what's broken your friendship. Maybe in your career, you're whining to God and telling God everything that's wrong and your career and job is just full of grievance when in fact you're just living down in number three because you think they owe you something. People get tired of churches, but usually tired people make for tired churches because they get down here and they're like, well, I've given so much that I can opt out of the spiritual war of reaching spiritually lost people. And I'll leave it for somebody else. And when you do that, a church descends. When you're not in wars you're supposed to be in, you end up on roofs you're not supposed to be on. What happened next in David's life unraveled 
with so much loss. Just read the rest of David's life. So much loss. He lost his first three sons, all connected to this. But there's one slice of good news, one beautiful moment. See, John asked me, he said, hey, why don't you come teach on our 25th? You've had a 25th. What did you say to your church on the 25th of your church at 12 Stone? It was this kind of conversation. Let's have a celebration, but let's link it with consecration. Let's recognize the things he has done, but he's still going to go do. The beautiful thing about David is that David turned from opting out of the war to getting back in the war. And that's why you read, he mustered the army and went to Rabbah and conquered the king and got the crown. Why? Because he got back in. Maybe the only thing you need to do right now in whatever's most broken in your life is just get back in the war. That's it. Just get back in the war. No, maybe it's no more complicated. David messed up. He did something. He did it wrong. Have you, how many have ever done something? You've done it wrong. Like you messed it up. You did it wrong. Okay, it's more than that, but I'll give you one more chance. How many have ever messed something up by doing something wrong? You did it wrong. You didn't do it perfect. Okay. And, and the perfect people, of course, you kept your hands down, and, and we know what that means. <laughs> that in itself is the mistake, but that's okay. I, I, would, I was teaching... I wasn't teaching. My very first time when I met Marcia, my wife, it was a a little old church, 40 people. I was an intern. She came and sat right down front. She was beautiful. I was aware that she was beautiful. I thought this would be a good time to impress her with my scripture reading. My role that day was to read scripture. So I got up there and I opened up the scripture and I had my suit on and the moment was holy, and I was reading through in the New Testament, and I was reading the rivers of living water. But what came out was, and rivers of living water. And I Elmer fudded the thing. And then I panicked. And for reasons I still to this day cannot explain, I went, rivers of living water. No, rivers of living water. Rivers of living, rivers, river, river, rivers. Oh, shut the Bible and walked and sat down. That was the scripture reading for the day. It was horrific. God made sure Marcia knew if she was going to hook up with me, this guy, can you say hook up? No, that's the wrong way. If Marcia and I were going to get married be together, she was going to marry a messed up man, an imperfect human being. You know what I did the next week? I got up and read scripture. Just get back at it. See, there are things where the God of more would continue to bless and build in your life, including the next 25 years of Waymaker. Don't you know that God has put things in John's heart, in Tammy's heart, in the heart of this church? And as great as the celebration is, it is quickly followed by consecration. Stay in the war. Get back in it. Maybe you have to do it personally. Maybe it matters your contribution collectively. But there is a prayer that was offered over the church In Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to bow your heads and I want to pray it over you and my part will be done. It's really a blessing that Paul offered over the church that the Holy Spirit might do this. And I pray he would do this for you. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church in Waymaker Church, in each of you, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.